Welcome to this episode of What the Actual App. My name is Harmony and I'm your host here. Now today I want to tell you about Christopher Jenkins. You see, Christopher Jenkins was a 21-year-old college student at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. On Halloween night in 2002, Christopher, his girlfriend, and a few friends went over to the Lone Tree Bar. Side note about the Lone Tree Bar, according to the investigators that are on Chris Jenkins' case, this bar is located in a quote, sketchier side of Minneapolis. I have no idea, however, as I've never been there. Now, I do want to share that this case, when I first heard of it, really stuck with me. A lot of the cases that I read about kind of don't phase me. I'm, I'm very desensitized when you research this kind of stuff for a living. But there are things that kind of reach out to me and make me think about these cases for a long time coming. And Chris, or Christopher, his case really did such a thing for me. Maybe because it was on Halloween, and that just happens to be my favorite holiday. But then why are there other cases about Halloween that didn't do that? Okay, maybe it's because it could really be related to a serial killer. Oh yeah. Also, maybe because it's unsolved. But no, because a lot of cases I share with you aren't solved. Hmm. You know what I really think it is? It's the fact that I think I know exactly who did it and they are walking around scot-free. Anyways, let's begin. And that way, you can make your own opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, welcome to the show. So the deaths of dozens of young men across 11 states and 25 cities were declared accidental drownings, but now, new surveillance video puts them back in the headlines it's called the smiley face killer that case has become front page news again there's a lot more to it than we know this was abducted in a cargo van he was driven around minneapolis for hours and tortured these are young highly intelligent very athletic young men uh that disappear after the night of drinking very suspiciously most of them have ghb which is date rape drug how did this drug wind up in the body incapacitated them, they have injuries, they are held for a period of time because there's no decomposition on the body for the amount of time that they're missing, and then they're deposited in bodies of water to re be recovered later, drowned, but most of them doesn't even have water in their lungs. So I'm gonna do this case kind of different. I'm gonna give you the rundown of exactly what went down the night that Chris disappeared and then what followed. After that, I wanna go over the theories. Because that's where things get really bizarre. Not that this whole case isn't really bizarre, because it is. On Halloween night in 2002, 21-year-old University of Minnesota student Christopher Jenkins went to the Lone Tree Bar. He headed there with his girlfriend, Ashley Rice, and three other friends. Sometime after midnight, Chris was separated from his friends and then ejected from the bar. The most common story that was shared around about what happened that led to him being kicked out was that a drink accidentally spilled on his pants, and the security supervisor assumed that Chris was just so intoxicated that he urinated on himself. After Chris was removed, the bouncer at the door was given instructions not to let him back in. 
Unfortunately for Chris, who was wearing his Halloween costume. And if you have ever seen the now infamous photo of Chris, I should have it as the photo for this episode. His costume had no pockets. Which means he actually had ended up asking his girlfriend Ashley if she would hold his phone and his wallet since, well, he couldn't put them anywhere. So when he was kicked out, Ashley had these things in her purse. His coat was also inside the bar as well, which is not good because it was freezing outside. It was 20 degrees, so he definitely needed more than just his costume. However, the bouncer and the bar would not allow Chris to come back in or have any more contact with his friends or his girlfriend. Since these friends are who he came with, he didn't have a ride home at this point. He couldn't contact anybody as well as he wasn't allowed in the bar and he didn't have his phone. The bouncer who kicked him out states that he saw him turning left on Hennepin Avenue, which is really bizarre because he was found just five miles away several months later in the river off Hennepin Bridge. Let me pause really fast and share with you something that a show known as Breaking Homicide shared. In this show, they actually catch up with the security guard that supposedly kicked out Christopher. Now here's where it gets really bizarre. Not that this whole case doesn't get bizarre and twisty, but he says that he did not in fact kick him out. Nope, he says that Chris left on his own accord. That's it. It's just rather bizarre to me that the story has been this way the whole time. And then all of a sudden, this guy was like, nope, that's not how it happened. That just puts a lot of holes in this story. Anyways, let's move forward. Some people claim Chris left on his own that night. However, that doesn't make much sense if he left all those things behind in the bar. Chris Jenkins would be found four months later in the Hennepin River in the Horseshoe Dam area. On February 27, 2003, Chris's body was discovered floating in the Mississippi River beneath the 3rd Avenue Bridge. I have also seen this bridge referred to as the Hennepin Bridge, which adds up with the fact that originally it was stated the security guard who kicked him out saw him turning left on Hennepin. When he was found, he was still in his Halloween costume. His body had gotten wedged in some branches of a large tree that was located next to the upper St. Anthony Falls Dam. I believe others also call this the Horseshoe Dam. Sorry if I'm getting any of this kind of messed up. I am reading all of this from my resources that I did the research of, and there's different things of people calling stuff different roads or names. But I kind of understand that because if you came to my town and you were looking at a map, I'd be like, oh, that's not, that's not what I call it. But yeah, I know that road. So the medical examiner would actually state that there were no signs of foul play on Chris's body. So the official cause of death initially was reported to be suicide. This is actually what it would go on to be stated. However, it's not gonna stay that way. Especially when you look at the fact of how he was actually found. He was found with his legs and arms crossed and he was holding his hair. Just really bizarre. The whole scene doesn't make any sense. And for him to have just done that to himself also doesn't make any sense. Now, I have also read that the coroner actually ended up putting undetermined initially for Chris's cause of death, which I do hope that was and they didn't put suicide that they tried to report. The police did believe that Chris died from an accidental drowning initially. 
His family, however, didn't, and they launched their own independent investigation. And they discovered a lot of odd discrepancies. If I would have known that was the last time I was ever going to see him, I wouldn't have let him go. So, when Chuck Lausch, who was a private investigator, would go on to be hired by the Jenkins family, he would go into the lone bar and grill and question the staff. This is where things start to get a little crazy. Because the staff started telling him, yeah, no, he wasn't kicked out, he left on his own. Which completely contradicts what is being said. Of course, Chuck wants to dive in more and see if he can get down to the bottom of it, but the owner of the Lone Tree Bar and Grill would actually go on to issue a gag order. This means that the employees were not allowed to speak with anyone in regards to Christopher Jenkins and the case without an attorney. An off-duty police officer named Mike Casey was present at the bar on Halloween night. He was working security for the adjacent Hennepin Center for the Arts and he was introduced to Christopher by Ashley. Ashley worked at the bar and was acquainted with him. I say acquainted and I use that word loosely because she knew him well enough to borrow his uniform shirt or just be like, hey, can I, uh, can I use your work uniform for my Halloween costume? Like, I know we really don't know each other, but do you mind? Because she tried to claim it like they really didn't know each other. She did end up wearing his police shirt as a sexy officer costume that night. It is actually rumored that Mike Casey instructed the security supervisor to remove Chris from the bar. And this is where I also want to share what I think is going on and many other people do as well. Many people, like I said, including me, believe that Mike and uh, Ashley may have been more than just some friends. And a lot of people actually believe this because that night, Ashley was very flirtatious with Mike once Chris was gone. He even gave her a ride home after the bar closed. Now, the police department never actually formally questioned Mike Casey, and they even stated that, quote, he's a married man with children. We don't want to break up a family. Ha! Like that's ever stopped a man before. I mean, just ask my ex-husband. I'm just kidding, that's mean, <laughs> but it's also true. It does always just make me laugh whenever officers or investigators say, yeah, we don't have to worry about that person, they're married. Obviously, they would never do anything to jeopardize that. I mean, just look at Adam Levine, Ned Fulmer, Hugh Grant. Dude, I can keep going. There's a lot of people that just don't care, male or female. Some people are just really immoral and give two shits about others. Anyways, we should continue with this case because it's about to get even more bananas. It's also found with some hair in his hands. And it's been a huge controversy over whether or not the hair found clutched in the death grip of his fingers was his own or someone else's. Some are adamant that it was his own hair, while others are just as vehement it was someone else's. Upon taking another look at the autopsy, it was determined that the only way his body would have been found in the position it was in was if there had been a struggle. It's going to start to get a little bit tricky from here, like by a lot. So Chuck Lausch would actually speak with multiple witnesses and they would all say that they saw roughly about 10 people attacking somebody just outside of Times Square Pizza and Subs. 
It isn't clear if the person being jumped was Christopher, but possibly. And maybe these people drug him into the garage and then somehow either he got away or they took him or we don't know, but maybe. Or maybe possibly the shifty Mike Casey himself had something to do with Chris's disappearance. Maybe Ashley and Mike were a little bit more friendly than they were letting on to be. I mean, Ashley says they weren't really that close, in fact, they barely knew each other. But that didn't stop her from wearing his clothes that very night and having him give her a ride home. Instead of, I don't know, riding with the friends that brought her and her boyfriend, she stayed with that guy the rest of the night, flirted with him, had drinks with him, and then went home with him. I'm just saying it's a little bit shady. So Chris's blood alcohol was only 0.12%. So yes, by legal standards, he's inebriated. But in all reality, he wasn't overly intoxicated to any means. But here's where it also gets even more bizarre and tricky. There were traces of GHB in Chris's system. If you do not know what GHB is, allow me to enlighten you. GHB, or gamma-hydroxybutyrate, is a depressant. It is often available as a clear, odorless liquid. However, there is another strand known as blue nitro because, well, it's blue. GHB is considered a designer drug because it is made most oftenly in home basement labs for the purpose of just getting high. However, GHB, ketamine, and rohypnol are the most common date rape drugs because of how much they can incapacitate you. You see, how GHB works is the fact that it's a depressant that occurs naturally in our brain and has a sedative or anesthetic effect on us. Depressant substance slow down the activity of the brain and other parts of the central nervous system. So when we take GHB, even though we naturally create it, it really messes us up. But because we do naturally create this chemical, it wouldn't answer questions to Chris's death. Just because he was found with GHB in his system doesn't mean he was drugged because his body does naturally create it. Everybody's does. However, it's definitely something worth noting, especially when we get to the theories. You know, we knew it wasn't suicide and it was just, um, you know, one of those things where he walked out and then was never seen again. There's a forensic pathologist by the name of Dr. Michael Batten, and he actually had some issues with how Chris's body was found. The fact that Chris had his arms crossed in front of him didn't add up to him. Drowning victims who accidentally fall into water are generally found face down with their arms out towards their sides, and their clothing is all disheveled. However, Chris's shirt was tucked into his drawstring pants, and his oversized, too-big-for-his-feet moccasins that were slip-ons were still sitting on his feet. This would go on to lead to a lot of speculation that Chris was probably already dead when he was placed into the river. Now let's talk more about how Chris was found. Chris was found with a clump of his hair in his left hand. Now initially, when this was discovered, they did not look into this hair. They just put it in an envelope and wrote foreign matter in left hand and then just put it away, left it for years. It sat in this envelope completely untested, not even bothered with until eventually an investigator was like, oh shit, is this hair? We should, we should get this to the lab right now. 
and they did. This is when they learned it was Chris's hair, but we still don't know why he was clutching it so tightly in his hand. Chris's family also would find it extremely unusual that he had no bruises on his body. You see, Chris was actually a lacrosse goalie, and he would often get bruises whenever he had a game or practices. His parents knew for a fact that Chris actually had several bruises on his body because just a few days before he disappeared, he had two games and a practice. Since these bruises were no longer present, his parents believe that he may have been kept alive for several days after he went missing. This would allow enough time for them to heal. Hydrologists who study the Mississippi River were skeptical that Chris's body could have even been in the water for four months, at least without being seen, as the river did not freeze over until January 2003, which also means that his body would have more decomp than it did. And the area beneath the 3rd Avenue Bridge was searched just the weeks following his disappearance, while it was still completely thawed. However, a daytime thawing did occur on February 27th, which is the day that Chris's body was found. Which means it's possible that he floated from another location, which then caused his body to get lodged in the branches. However you want to look at it though, as we dive deeper into this case, it really starts to make less sense. In 2006, however, there was a new police chief in Indianapolis named Tim Dolan who, upon a closer look, reopened the case as a homicide and started immediately reinvestigating it. In 2006, Christopher's case would get life again, as the brand new police chief Tim Dolan decided to reinvestigate his case and reissue it as a homicide instead of a suicide. He also went on to hold a press conference and issued a formal apology to the Jenkins family. Later though, Tim Dolan would go on record stating that he believes the death of Chris was 50% chance of homicide, 30% chance of accidental death, and a 20% chance of suicide. Also around this same period of time, an informant told authorities that he had witnessed an acquaintance of his throw Chris off the Hennepin Avenue bridge. However, there was skepticism with this story because Chris didn't have any broken bones or injuries or even bruises on his body. It would have been impossible for him to have been tossed over the bridge's high safety railing as well without his body at least hitting a steel support beam. Not to mention, there were also vertical metal cables going the way down, which means he would have probably pummeled one of those too. So this story was just kind of brushed aside. However, in July of 2007, the Hennepin County District Attorney's Office announced that they had been approached about filing charges against a suspect for Chris's murder. However, they declined to do so. You know, the whole, hey, we found a murderer, you think you want to press charges on them? Ah, you know what? We're gonna let this one slide. It's just one murder, right? <laughs> We're good. Thanks, though. And uh, that was basically the end of it. Based on the info that they provided, some believe the suspect in question is a man by the name of Jeremy Alford. He is serving life sentence for a brutal murder of a man named Douglas Miller, and he was rumored to be a regular patron of the Lone Tree Bar, especially around the same time in 2002. And now I want to get to the most infamous theory about Chris's case, and that would be the Smiley Face Killers. I played a little intro for you in the beginning all about them, but let's go ahead and play some more. 
faces. There's some of the more than 40 college-age men who mysteriously drowned. The tragedy spanning 25 cities and 11 states. Two former NYPD police officers there say that they are all murder victims linked to what they call the smiley face killing. This is one of my favorite theories about murder, and that is the smiley face murder theory, or the smiley face murders, the smiley face killings, and the smiley face gang. This theory was brought forward by retired New York City detectives Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, as well as Dr. Lee Gilbertson, a criminal justice professor and gang expert at St. Cloud State University. This theory alleges that a number of young men who have been found dead in bodies of water across several American states in the late 1990s to the 2010s didn't accidentally drown as concluded by several law enforcement agencies. No, no, they were victims of a serial killer or killers. The term smiley face became connected to the alleged murders when it made public that the police had discovered graffiti. This graffiti would be found near, but definitely at the scene of a death. And it was always a smiley face. They believe that a killer was dumping bodies and leaving a smiley face for the detectives. It wasn't just one or two bodies either. There were dozens with these faces. And all of them were men, plus they had been drowned. It was just odd and a little bizarre. Kevin Gannon actually wrote a textbook case study on the subject and titled it Case Studies in Drowning Forensics. I do want to share that many law enforcement investigators don't really follow this theory. They are a bit skeptical, to say the least. So if it's not the smiley face killers that happen to just find Chris, stumble upon him, end his life, and toss him in a river like they did with their other victims, if they're even real. Then did he meet with foul play by a group of people like the witnesses saw? Or just maybe Mike Casey and Ashley could be hiding something. I don't know. Neither do the police. And sadly, even after all of these years, we may never know what actually happened to Christopher Jenkins that Halloween in 2002. And that is the case of Christopher Jenkins, a strange Halloween disappearance that led to homicide. His case is bewildering and baffling. We may never know what actually happened to Christopher that night, or maybe even the days that followed, or the months. We just may not know how his end was met. And sadly, Chris's story is not the only one like this. According to statistics though, about 50% of murders that happen in the US don't get solved. And that's where we remain with Chris's case today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of What the Actual F. I know murder is a dark and grim topic, but I do hope your day is amazing from here on out. If you have something you'd like me to look into or you just want to send me a message, please email me at whatstheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. But until next time, I love you guys and stay safe because I never want to tell a story about you. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> bye!